It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is KSL's Religion Today, a weekly look at religion and spirituality here at home and around the world. Now, here's your host, Martin Tanner, on KSL News Radio. Welcome. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. One of the questions that I was asked a while ago was I would like to be a Christian, but how can you? believe the New Testament record. It was written so long ago. 2,000 years is a long time. How do you know the gospel records haven't been changed? Well, here is how I answered. There are gospel records. The question isn't whether or not the gospel writers had an agenda, because they certainly did. They were Christians. They were trying to describe for their readers Christianity and how it began, and particularly when you're talking about the Gospels, the life of Christ. The question isn't, however, so much whether or not they had something in mind or were trying to persuade people about the truthfulness of Christianity, but whether or not they reported things accurately. For example, If you have a doctor writing about the ER, just because he's a doctor and is trying to write something positively about how things happen in the ER doesn't mean that he's necessarily biased or untruthful. Similarly, if you have an American writing about U.S. history, that does not necessarily mean that what is being written is inaccurate just because the person is a proud American. So, again, the question isn't whether or not the gospel writers were Christians and wanted people to believe it, but whether they were writing accurately. Let's take a look at some non-Christian sources from the time of Jesus and shortly after. People who are highly revered, in the secular world, in their day and today, and see what they said about Christianity in its infancy and about Jesus himself. Let's see if what they said, who had an axe to grind, if in any direction, very much against Christianity. Let's see if it matches up with the gospel record. Let's take a look at three. We'll start out with Cornelius Tacitus. He was born in AD 56. He held a series of distinguished Roman offices. He was a senator. He was a consul. Now today, he's famed for his writings, probably the most famous of which for our purposes would be the Annals, which consists of 16 books. He wrote them in AD 115, and 
we know that his ability to write about things of recent history, which is the way everyone writes history, you can't write about something in the future. So all history is in the past. How accurate are his writings? Let's take a look at his ability when he's writing about other things. We know that he wrote about things he was unaware of. For example, the locks in Scotland. He did incredible research and wrote descriptions of them, which we know today because, of course, the locks exist and we can compare them, are very, very accurate. He was meticulous about finding sources that allowed him to describe things that happened decades before he was born and in places where he had never been. We have no reason to doubt that what he said about early Christians, as found in his book, The Annals, is accurate. To quote the Oxford Companion to Classical Literature, quote, the Annals of Tacitus, in particular, show him to have been one of the greatest of historians with penetrating insight into character and a sober grasp of the significant facts and issues of the time, close quote. Tacitus is regarded by Oxford as a great historian. Tacitus wrote about the great fire in Rome, which occurred in A.D. 64. He was living after the fire occurred. He looked into the history of it. He interviewed many people to try to figure out about the fire. And here's what he had to say. He also, I I should mention before we jump into what he said, had access to Rome's official records about the fire. He describes how the fire took place. But there could not be any question that there were great rumors around in Rome that the fire had taken place by order of Nero, the Emperor Nero, and that therefore, and this is an exact quote from from Tacitus, quote, therefore to scotch the rumor Nero substituted as culprits and punished with the utmost refinements of cruelty, a class of men whom the crowd called Christians. Christ, the founder of the name, had undergone the death penalty in the reign of Tiberius by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilatus and the pernicious superstition, which was checked for a moment, would only break out once more, not only in Judea, the home of the movement, but in the capital, Rome itself, where all things eventually go, whether they are shameful or fashionable. First, then, the confessed member of the Christians' sect was arrested. Next, on their disclosures, vast numbers were convicted. 
not so much on account of arson as for hatred of them and derision accompanied their end. They were covered with wild beast skins and torn to death by dogs, or they were fastened on crosses, and when daylight ended, were burned up, Nero pouring tar upon them and lighting it afire in his gardens for the spectacle, and to give exhibition in his circus with the crowd. He had clothed himself as a charioteer mounted on the chariot. Hence, in spite of a guilt which he himself had earned, most of the Christians were in his stead. The sentiment of pity due to the impression that they were being sacrificed not for the welfare of the state, but to the ferocity of their belief in the deity of a single man, Jesus. Close quote. That is a fascinating description. How reliable is this account? Scholars and theologians believe it is quite accurate because Tacitus had a very unusual writing style in Latin, which is very difficult to change or to uh, counterfeit. And we have his writing style throughout this description. What does Tacitus tell us? He tells us that Christ was put to death under Tiberius, the emperor, between A.D. 14 and A.D. 37. That's when Tiberius was emperor. He tells us this happened under Pontius Pilate, who was in charge of Judea, which was between A.D. 26 and A.D. 36. So we have an approximate time point fixed for the early events of Christianity, which fit very nicely and accurately with the gospel message. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about the accuracy of the gospels in the early Christian record from outside hostile sources. Stay tuned. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Religion Today with host Martin Tanner continues on KSL News Radio. We're back. This is Religion Today. I'm your host, Martin Tanner. Our discussion today centers around outside sources, sources critical to Christians, and how they confirm from the first and early second century 
the facts that we know in the gospel record about Christianity and about Jesus himself. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to be in touch with me at martinstanner at gmail.com. My email again, martinstanner at gmail.com. If you can't listen to this program one week, it's available on all good sources for podcasts, KSL Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so forth. And also, twice on Sunday, 6.30 in the morning and 9.30 at night. We're talking about outside sources that verify early Christians. One of the things that Tacitus also tells us is that early on, within a few decades of the time that Christ was alive, Christianity had spread rapidly, very, very quickly. It was all over the place. It was in Rome. It was, it was in Judea. It was everywhere. Let's take a look at Pliny the Younger, who's our next historian, who has a similar message to tell us about Jesus with even a little more detail. He was born about 61 AD and died in 111 AD toward the end of a distinguished career. He was also a governor of Bithynia and of Pontus, which was a region in northwest Turkey of today. He wrote specifically to Emperor Trajan on a number of occasions. His most famous letter, or infamous, depending on your point of view, is the one he writes to Emperor Trajan asking for advice about how to deal with the Christians. This is what Pliny the Younger says, quote, It is my rule, Sir Trajan, to refer to you all matters of which I am unsure, for who is more capable of guiding my uncertainty and informing my ignorance? Having never been present at any trials of Christians, I am unacquainted with the method and limits to be observed either in examining or punishing them. I have been in great doubt whether any difference is to be made on account of age or any other distinction allowed between the youngest and the adult, whether a pardon is possible if someone actually recounts or not. In the meantime, the method I have observed towards those who have been interrogated by me is if they confess to being a Christian, I repeat the question a second time. If they confess a second time, I add the threat of capital punishment and ask a third time. If they still persevere, I order them to be led off to execution. For whatever the nature of their beliefs, these Christians, I could at least feel no doubt that their stubbornness and inflexibility in retaining their beliefs deserves punishment. There were others who possessed the same madness who were citizens of Rome. I could not give them the same punishment, but directed them to be sent to Rome for punishment. These who were found to be guilty said 
uniformly that they were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day of the week before it was light. And they sang a hymn to Christ as to a God and of binding themselves by a solemn oath not to do wicked deeds, but to never commit any fraud, theft, or adultery, and never to falsify their word, nor to deny a pledge when they were called upon to deliver it up. After this, it was their custom to separate and then reassemble to partake of bread and wine, ordinary food, and an innocent kind. Even this practice, however, they were forced to abandon in some places by orders and edicts, which you, your honor, have made. I had forbid political associations and therefore thought it the more necessary to extract the real truth with torture from deacons. But I could discover nothing more than the things that I have already mentioned. I am unable to understand why this pernicious sect has multiplied so quickly, so much so that our temples are almost deserted, close quote. And then Trajan replies and says, gee, you're doing a great job. Um, what do we get from Pliny the Younger? We understand that there were a huge number of Christians. We know that they were in Rome as well as in other areas as well. We know there were so many that many of the Roman temples were not well attended anymore, neither were the Jewish temples. We know that this happened within 20 or 30 years of the time of Jesus. We also know that people were willing to die for a belief in Christ and that they were practicing the sacrament and having meetings where they sang a hymn and did what we do basically today in most Christian meetings, Latter-day Saints and otherwise, they sing hymns and partake of the sacrament. Christians believed in just one God, which was quite different from the way most others believed during that time period. Briefly, let's take a look at one other non-Christian historian of the first century. This is Flavius Josephus. He was born around AD 37. He died around A.D. 100. He was actually a commander in the Jewish army, which would not have been fond towards Jesus or the Christians. He was captured by the Romans in A.D. 67, and because he predicted that Vespian would become emperor, Vespian liked him and allowed him to become a citizen of Rome and take the name Flavius. So John Mark has John or Johanne a Jewish name, and Marcus, a Greek name, we have sort of the reverse, but the same kind of thing here with Flavius Josephus. Josephus is a Jewish name, and Flavius very much a Greek name. So here we have Flavius Josephus, who wrote probably one of the most single important letters of his day. He wrote in Antiquities of the Jews, about Sanhedrin judges who brought before them in A.D. 62 a man named James, the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ, and certain others, and accused them of having transgressed the law and delivered them up to be stoned. 
And at the time of this report, Josephus was an adult. And this event took place in his own city. And he was probably living there at the time. And it confirms the statements that we have in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, and in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, that Jesus had a brother or half-brother, if you will, named James. We also know that according to first century Christians, James was a leader of a Christian community, as we read in Acts 15, 13, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 19. This is also what Josephus says. So here we have a number of different sources that are all confirming some of the main things that are mentioned in the Gospels and in Acts, that there were many, many Christians very, very quickly, that Christ was put to death under Pontius Pilate, that he was worshipped as deity very early on as the Son of God, and that Christianity had spread far and wide and the people knew Christ's family. By that I mean about James. These are all confirming evidences from critical sources, and they should be greatly respected. The Gospels are accurate. We have every reason to believe that. We have hundreds and hundreds from the early centuries that read virtually the same on all major issues. Join me again next week. I'm Martin Tanner. This is Religion Today. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.